0: Some of you may know that I grew up in California and spent a couple decades as an Episcopal priest out there serving two different congregations. And therefore, I have driving in my blood that born in California, raised in California, you just kind of get used to getting in the car with, as a child with other people, driving and heading off for Timbuktu to have the perfect lunch and then driving back, and that's all you did. Might be a half hour, an hour each way to get the absolute supreme something or other. Or sometimes just drive for the sense of freedom that that gives. I can remember when I first got my driver's license being very careful to make sure I refilled the gas tank after I'd used the family car, because sometimes we would drive so far that we'd use up almost an entire tank of gas. And knowing that my parents wouldn't check the odometer, just the amount of gas in the tank, we were okay. As long as I filled it up before I put it back in the garage. Now, one of the things that I had to deal with as an adult, as a parish priest, was dealing with Los Angeles traffic. The two congregations were both in the orbit of Los Angeles. And if you haven't experienced Los Angeles traffic, I'll give you just a couple figures. One is that just within the county of Los Angeles, and there are basically three counties that make up the Los Angeles orbit, just within that one county, there are 650 miles of freeways and, and growing. And every weekday, every commuting day, between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m., just that one hour, there are around 2.5 million people on those freeways, Roughly twice the population of the Indianapolis area. That many people on those freeways. And there's not enough room. They squish together and slow down and for no good reason come to a stop beyond the reason that there are just too many people on the freeways. So one of the things that I learned to do was always leave early. And the other thing I learned to do was always check the traffic. Now, this was before the era of smartphones, so checking traffic meant two things. One, either going on the internet on a desktop computer and seeing what the traffic map was, or turning on the AM radio in the car and listening to the traffic reports on KFI 640, where every six minutes they would give a full report of all the accidents and slowdowns and construction in the Los Angeles area. That took so long that usually there was only a couple minutes between traffic reports. So using that knowledge, I could work my way around the very worst of the traffic. But often, I would just have to make peace that I was going to sit for a while, sometimes for a very long while. Now, whenever I do that, have to sit for a long while, particularly if it's kind of a frustrating type of waiting, I often create little games for myself, to keep myself occupied, to to keep my spirits up. So what I would do is, particularly while listening to the traffic reports, was trying to remember if I'd ever been on one of the over a dozen freeways that might be mentioned on that traffic report. Have I been on the 405, on the 110, on the this or the that? And in California, if you want to talk like a native, you always say the in front of the number. Just a little hint for you next time you go out to Disneyland or something. So I'd be sitting there thinking, have I been on that part of the 405? Have I been on that part of the 101, the 60, the 90, 1, on and on and on? And eventually, it turned into more than a wondering game. Eventually, it eventually turned into a mental checklist of how many different miles of those, I didn't know at the time, 652 miles of Los Angeles freeway had I actually been on. And so as the years passed I kind of started to look forward to checking off fresh miles without leaving home, Very not going very far from home, still get there and back in a day depending on the traffic. Have I been on that part of the freeway? Have I been on this part of the freeway? Is this new mileage? Yes it is. So I started to check off, okay, I've done that, I've done this, I've done the other thing. And eventually, and it took 20 years, I was able to say I had traveled every piece of the Los Angeles freeway system. Sometimes only once, but many times in order to avoid an accident or slow down, I'd gone multiple times on every piece of road, and it was a weird accomplishment. And probably now there are all sorts of different websites devoted to such activities. But at the time, there was no way, there was no Facebook or anything. There wasn't any way to proclaim my victory. <laughs> so you and the 8 o'clockers are the first ones to hear this. That, that is my accomplishment. Not nearly as good as graduating from high school like we'll recognize today. But still, it was something. Now, one of the things that I did, though, was I had this rule about my little game. I couldn't travel on a freeway simply to check it off the box. It had to be part of another journey. It had to be part of going to a meeting for work or an activity for family or running an errand to get the part for the washing machine. I remember that checked off some miles when I was fixing my washer. It had to be a legitimate purpose, not just for the sake of covering the mileage. And that added a greater challenge to the task. To, to the game. It gave me something else to think about as I sat stock still in traffic. Can I do it? Do, let's see, where do I have to go? What do I have to buy? What do I, who do I have to see? Can I get some more miles? It was a very good way to sit in traffic, still sit, stay somewhat attentive, and get where I was going. Now, I think about that when I think about this morning's gospel, and to a certain extent, the first reading from Acts. Because in this morning's gospel, Jesus is speaking just before he's arrested, essentially. It's the end of the Last Supper. And so this is a a hugely significant moment. And he talks about that the core of being a Christian is loving, that people will know whether or not we are Christians by our love. He doesn't say Christians but whether or not we are followers of Christ by whether or not we love and how we love. And almost from the moment Jesus spoke those words, Christians have started to play the freeway game with it. They've started to play the game of, well, let's see, I want to make this a little bit harder, so it has to be, for a certain purpose. It has to be in a certain way. It has to be going in a certain direction. It has to be part of where I'm going. It has to be this, that, or the other thing. We've started to form checklists. Through the centuries, there have been different lists, but nonetheless, we form checklists about how and who we're supposed to love in order to say we are fulfilling these words. And we do this over and over as humans following Christ, generation after generation. And yet if we read the scriptures, like in the book of Acts this morning, we hear so many times that if we form a checklist, God wants us to rip it up. Then the case of this morning's first reading, it's Peter ripping up the restriction against Gentiles being welcomed into Christianity, that you didn't have to become Jewish in order to become Christian, which it had been before Peter received and followed this revelation he had. The key part, of course, was following. We want to make it easier to love. We want to make it easier to be a Christian. We want to fulfill our own prejudices. We want to fulfill our own preconceptions about what it means to be a good person by making sure the checklist is just right. That it kind of fulfills how we think the world should be. Rather, and doing what Jesus did and what the prophets asked and what Christ asked and what Paul asked and what Peter asked us to do, which is to be vulnerable to God's ongoing, constant revelation to us of how we are to live and who we are to love. Interesting little academic exercise. At least it's interesting to someone like me who likes to study scripture is that for decades there's been this accepted wisdom that as much as the Gospel of John uses the term love, we should look at which Greek word is used in the Greek Bible to see what John was referring to. That there are Greek words for a friendship kind of love, for a romantic kind of love, for a kind of love that you might have for God, and that By taking care of the translation of that, we can see really what Jesus is trying to say. And Jesus talks about love over and over in the Gospel of John. Well, that works to a certain degree. And as Episcopalians, of course, we all get to decide for ourselves. So if that's meaningful for you, you can continue to embrace it. But I'd be remiss if I didn't say that in recent years there's been another circle of scholarship around the gospel of John and the term love and doing what we as Episcopalians try to encourage reading the gospel as one piece we can see that John's not too careful about which love word he uses for any given circumstance in describing what Jesus was saying John doesn't seem to be very careful about which Greek word for love he uses in fact it's quite a mishmash if you write down every single instance of John saying love and the context in which it says, it almost, almost doesn't make sense to translate the term for love in a certain given way. Now some would say, well that means John didn't know Greek as well as we all thought. I think though it's something else. I think it's the Holy Spirit leading John To keep us from being too precise about this. To keep us from forming a checklist. To keep us from getting too literal about what kind of love was Jesus talking about in this circumstance, in that circumstance. I think John is purposely getting mishy-mashy about what love term is being used so that we will realize that God simply wants us to love. And not to get too technical and certainly not to get too precise about what form of love is being talked about. That we are simply called to love. That if we don't love our family well, if we don't love our neighbor well, if we don't love God well, if we don't love our friends well, wherever you want to define love, if we neglect any of those portions, we're going to be seen as hypocrites. And part of what Jesus is trying to teach us is consistency. Consistency in loving with generosity, with boldness, with courage, and not trying to do grammatical calisthenics to explain whether or not we're loving just right. To say, yes, I've checked the box, I've done my love thing for the day, now I'm on free time. That's not how it works. Instead, Christ tells us over and over again to love generously, to love boldly, to love people who are near and far, who are outcasts and accepted. Any group of people you want to name, we're supposed to love. No one's outside those bounds. And similarly, we're supposed to love God with our entire being. And we're supposed to take care of the whole wide world all of creation with our entire being. There's no checklist to perform. There's no freeway mileage to say, yes, we've covered that love territory. Instead, we are called to love, to do our best day in and day out, knowing we're going to fail sometimes, and simply love. There's no checklist to complete. There's no freeway mileage to drive over. We simply do it, wherever we are, however it is that God is giving us to do it in that moment. And then people will know we are Christians by our love. People will be even inspired by how we love. People will see that God really is real and that there's something to this way in which Christians are called to live, to love. To love, to love, regardless of how you translate it. It's simply loving over and over again so that the world may be a better place, so that people may know that Christ's presence makes a difference, so that we can live lives of deeper meaning and happiness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.